Hello, everybody, and welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you are now tuned into our OITE review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. And uh, we're just trying to go over the high points for the orthopedic in training exam. So, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome hit the subscribe button and tell a friend if you're returning back again welcome back again and also side note we will start to release our normal weekly episodes for those of you that are longtime listeners and listen to our weekly episodes with different orthopedic surgeons on different topics Uh, we will start to bring those back in addition to this oite review series so Without further ado, let's continue on with a little bit of a little bit of sports. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. I guess it's moving forward and switching gears to uh, one of the more common and highly tested topics in sports uh, will be a little bit about ACL injuries. And uh, we touched a little bit earlier about some common findings, but just for completeness sake, I guess we can quickly go over it again. Uh, But what are some common history and physical exam findings with anterior cruciate ligament tears? Uh, Yeah, so before even that, over the last five years or the last five OITs I've done, the ACL is the most commonly tested topic in all of orthopedics. So if you are going to study anything and, and want to do well on the OITE, definitely starting with the ACL is a good place because that has the most questions and is the most highly tested topic in, in uh, orthopedics. So uh, moving on to answer your question, the common history and physical exam findings. One of them is, is the non-contact twisting injury to the knees. So uh, a soccer player planting their foot to uh, kick a ball on either wet or uh, soft ground and they have a twisting injury to that planted knee, uh, they're going to feel a pop. They're going to see a big knee effusion because there's uh, blood supply associated with the ACL. So when it's ruptured, that uh, blood will fill up the joint. Um, they'll walk with something called a quad avoidance gait, which is decreased stride length and a mid-stance knee flexion is avoided. And basically the reasoning for that is um, that ACL is designed to prevent anterior translation of the knee. And where do the quads insert on the tibia? They insert on the anterior aspect of the tibia. So if you're activating your quads a lot, it's going to want to pull the tibia forward and cause pain and symptoms of instability within the knee. So they're going to avoid knee flexion if possible. Um, And then on physical exam, you have the Lachman test and the Lachman grading is not a positive or negative Lachman. It's a Lachman grading of uh, uh, one, two, and three. And then A and B is a soft endpoint or a hard endpoint. There are millimeter... uh, 
differences associated with the different Lachman gratings. But for me personally, um, that part isn't so useful because it, I have a hard time determining the difference between five and five and 10 millimeters in the knee yeah. when I'm doing that test. Uh, but the, the soft and end hard points do uh, provide a lot for you where if there's, if it feels a little lax, but there's a hard end point, then you're maybe looking at either a partial tear or uh, some other sort of internal derangement in the knee that's causing that laxity uh, versus a soft endpoint that you can just kind of keep pulling forward. Then you have more of a concern for an ACL tear. And then uh, the obviously the pivot shift test and, and even the, um, I think it's called the, uh, uh, not a reverse pivot shift, but it's it's like a, a apprehension with pivot shift. I think it's also considered positive because uh, it will be painful and symptomatic for the patients to go through a pivot shift while they're awake. That if they don't want you to or they don't let you do a pivot shift while they're awake, it's also a very high de- high chance that that ACL is uh, torn. And then once they're asleep with anesthesia and you do a true pivot shift with them relaxed, um, it'll, it'll kind of show itself, but you know, there's uh, a, there's another test that, I, that I've heard about recently called like the, the lever, I think it's called the lever test for ACLs. Uh, I don't know how, how widely used it is, but it's like, you know, you have them, um, they have them supine and you put your, uh, one of your hands like underneath, uh, like underneath their, I think either knee or proximal tibia and you have your other hand and you push down on the, uh, and you push down on the femur, and if what you're looking for is is um, is for the foot to come off the bed, you know, to like to I guess ex- extend the knee, and it's considered a positive test if you're if you're able to do that, and the knee does and the and the foot does not come off the bed, versus meaning that the ACL is not intact, versus if you're able to do that, and and you you know, you push down on the femur and you have extension um, and, and that foot comes off the bed, that's going to be a negative test. Meaning the ACL is intact. I doubt they'll uh, ask that, but you know, that's another um, physical exam finding yeah. that I've been hearing that I've been hearing more of lately. Yeah. I guess that, that kind of makes intuitive sense where if the, if the ACL is intact then it'll pull the tibia, uh, or it'll keep the tibia in place and cause the foot to come off the ground. Whereas if the ACL is out, it'll just translate the tibia forward rather than cause it to lever up. But yeah, Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of that, but it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, uh, and, and yeah, just to harp on your points that, that quad avoidance gate, that that's real. (laughs) Remember I tore my ACL and, uh, I had that gate, the thing hurt. Uh, especially that <laughs> night of, <laughs> so yeah. it's pretty painful. So you do not, you do not, you, you definitely do whatever you can to try to avoid that. Uh, but so, so um, what patients are are good to undergo non-operative treatment that have these ACL tears? Uh, so starting off the asymptomatic partial tears. So the ones that have the hard endpoint with the Lockman and they um, are like, no, I, I can walk fairly normal. I, I'm completing therapy. My knee feels great. Then the asymptomatic partial tears you can uh, treat without surgery. Um, and then the low demand patients. And uh, at that point, you're 
you're really looking at um, uh, kind of advanced age, very low demand level, sedentary lifestyle, uh, that sort of stuff. And then for operative treatment, you're looking at higher demand and, and more active patients really. And it's really done. I mean, yes, for the stability of the knee, but um, as we age, we all know that the uh, cartilage and meniscus start to kind of get worn out from increased mileage. So uh, you're really reconstructing it to provide uh, uh, cartilage and meniscal protective measures. Um, and let's say we do decide to treat a patient, uh, what sort of different autograph choices are out there? Yeah, so for autograph choices for ACL reconstructions, uh, for I guess we'll go with an adult, uh, you have your bone patellar bone autographed, you have your quadriceps tendon autographed, and you have your hamstrings autographed. And when we got our quadriceps autograph, this can be uh, harvested with or without a bone plug or with or without a little piece of the patella. Uh, so when we think about our bone patellar bone um uh, autographed. People like this because, you know, it's kind of bony, bone to bone healing, uh, but there is an increased incidence of anterior knee pain, as well as, you know, there's some uh, reports out there of increased degenerative joint disease. Uh, when you look at the hamstring, they have a quadruple, uh, a quadruple uh, uh, hamstring it actually has the highest strength and stiffness when tested in a lab. Uh, so that's one thing to know about the hamstring. Um, Autograph and the quadriceps autograph is a pretty thick uh, uh, autograph. It's a 1.8 times as thick as the uh, as a patellar tendon or that bone patellar tendon bone um, autograph. But those are the three mainstay autographs for adults. Um, there are a lot of different other techniques that are used when treating um, like pediatric ACL injuries. You use your lateral IT band. There's a lot of different ways. We may touch about that when we talk about pediatrics, but for the sake of this talk, uh, this, those are those, those main autographs and, mm. and um, kind of, you know, the main, uh, one of the, the risks with harvesting that, that bone block that we were talking about is a risk of a patella fracture. I think there are ways to, to reduce that risk in, um, of the patella fracture, one which is like kind of drilling holes, uh, or, or, or smoothing out the corner holes that are not squares. Uh, and then there's another a couple other list of things um, that I cannot think of off the top of my head right now. But um, just know that, you know, graft harvest of the bone block has an increased risk of patella fracture. Now, grass less than what size uh, are associated with increased failure rates for ACL reconstructions? Uh, grass with... Uh size less than eight and a half millimeters do have a higher uh, failure rates. And it's really just because of the size of the graft. I mean, as you increase the, the radius, the overall strength uh, can go up by a, a factor of four. And so uh, you're really looking at getting a, a nine, nine and a half or a 10 millimeter uh, graft in, in these high level athletes. Uh, to reconstruct their ACLs. And there's several techniques to, to do. You won't be tested on those, but um, either harvesting an extra tendon uh, versus uh, folding over one of the tendons uh, 
to to kind of help increase the diameter of the graft. But uh, if it's only fitting uh, through an eight and a half millimeter tunnel, then uh, you want to try and do something to increase that that diameter of the graft. And um, uh, what about uh, allograft ACL reconstructions? Uh, do they do better or worse in younger patients? Let's talk about it. Yeah, so, you know, use of allografts, and there are many different allografts that you can use, you know, like Achilles tendon allograft. Some people use posterior tibialis tendon allografts. Um, but these are associated with increased failure rates in young patients. Um, and then also, uh, when we're looking at allografts, chemically processed or irradiated allografts do have an increased failure rate compared to the the fresh frozen allografts. So those allografts that are just, you know, fresh out the freezer um, are uh, do not fail as, as, as often as those chemically processed or irradiated allografts. And again, uh, allograft use for younger patients is associated with uh, increased rates of failure. And of course, there, we all know with allografts in general, you have an increased uh, risk of, um, of, you know, kind of, of, of the graft possibly not taking, you know, the whole host versus uh, a graft uh, disease or, or, or things, things of that sort. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what are some key aspects of um, ACL uh, rehabilitation, you know? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you want to get these patients back to their level of activity. And so ACL rehab is, I mean, arguably just as important as the actual surgery itself and making sure that your patients are willing and able to participate in rehab prior to operating on them is crucial to the uh, overall success of the, of the procedure. But um, you want to focus on early range of motion, uh, achieving full extension, um, you want to avoid isokinetic quad strengthening, uh, especially with uh, what you were talking about before with those open chain exercises. So uh, the knee extensions and knee flexion uh, or quad extensions and hamstring uh, contraction uh, exercises where the foot is not in direct contact with the ground. Uh, it should be avoided in the early stages of rehab. Um, but eccentric strengthening to increase quad and hamstring muscle mass is crucial. So uh, things like squats are closed chain and those help in, increase the uh, quad and hamstring muscle mass. And there's no outcome difference in accelerated versus non-accelerated rehab. So uh, those patients that are put into a kind of faster rehab protocol, they end up doing the same as those that uh, were classically, we just took more time with them. But now we're finding out that we don't necessarily have to be as cautious as we once were. And we can get these patients back to uh, uh, their sports a little bit sooner with this accelerated rehab program, as long as all of those protocols are followed. Um, so uh, we have the uh, patient in surgery, we have the graft harvested. Um, what uh, sort of positions are we looking to place these uh, tunnels? Yeah. So, you know, they always say, if, you know, if you're looking at a clock and uh, you want this either at the 10 o'clock position or at the two o'clock position, depending on which, uh, which side of the knee you're working on, but uh, that's where you want your um, 
your graph to be placed at from 10 to 10 30 or, or, or two o'clock and, and you note that a more horizontal placement um, may reduce your rotational instability and can and can lead to improved results versus uh versus if you have your graphs and it's too vertically placed um, this can um, lead to uh, uh you know less rotational um, stability and uh you were talking a little bit about earlier about the about the different bundles of the ACL and the PCL, but now we can kind of use some of those same concepts and talk about when our uh, femoral tunnel position is too anterior, too posterior, and uh, so what happens, you know, to our graft when our when our position of our um, femoral tunnel is too anterior, too posterior. Uh, when we put these tunnels too anterior, uh, I mean like you were, you were saying with something that's more anterior, it becomes tighter in flexion and something that is more posterior, it becomes tighter in extension. So when you put the tunnels to anterior, then the graft may be too tight in flexion and they can uh, develop a loss of uh, range of motion of the knee. And with a tunnel that's placed to posterior, then you're placing uh, them at risk for developing a flexion contracture because they won't be able to achieve full terminal extension. And uh, I mean, that's on the femoral side, but what, what about the tibial side? What, what conditions or what issues do you see with tunnel malposition in the tibia? Yeah. So if it is, um, if the, if your tibial tunnel is too anterior, you can have a, a roof impingement or impingement when you uh, when you go to extend your knee all the way, and then it can also again, if it's too anterior, you can be tight in flexion. So those are some of the things to know. Tibial tunnel is too anterior, you can have roof impingement, and it can be um, tight in in flexion. And when we talk about kind of these these complications after we talk about you know these ACL reconstructions, it, our most common uh, complication is going to be um, kind of tunnel uh, tunnel malposition. Uh, so, for example, you know the graph would be too vertical, which in that case is going to be too rotationally unstable. Um, just like we said a little bit earlier, if it's too anterior on the tibial tunnel, you can have roof impingement. And then um, another complication that is seen following ACL reconstruction is going to be arthrofibrosis um, or, you know, kind of stiff knee, uh, which actually begins in the superpatellar pouch. Uh, and a way to, to ensure that, you know, or, or lessen the chance of this happening is to ensure that you have full range of motion prior to surgery. So I remember when I had mine, uh, when I had mine um, uh, ACL reconstructed because I had mine, mine done some years ago. Uh, you know, I was talking with the with the surgeon at the time, and he was saying, "Oh, you know," because I was like, "Oh man, I'm about to go do this study abroad. And, you know, if I have surgery, you know, da 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 da." And he's like, "Oh, well, you know, you can you can still go on your trip. You know, you just kind of work on um, getting range of motion because it leads to better outcomes. And so, you know, if you work on you have good range of motion pre-op, that can help you uh, lessen your chances of having uh, arthrofibrosis post-op. Um, so." What are some complications seen um, when you harvest your uh, your your hamstring graft for if you you know if you're one of these physicians and you want to use your in your uh, hamstring graft type of a person? What are some complications that are seen with that? Uh, honestly, one of the I, I guess most devastating is an exaggeration. It um, but uh, a total bummer is when. Uh, you are 
you've harvested your hamstring off of the pez and you're going to uh, use your uh, tendon stripper and you don't have it fully in line with the tendon and that tendon stripper cuts it too soon and you have graft amputation that's that sucks because you're i mean yeah. you've already you've already made the incision for hamstring harvest and you amputated it so then you have to resort to something else i mean you can try a gracilis but it's usually not long enough then you have to maybe go towards a quad tendon or a btb or resort to an allograft at that point and we know that allografts don't do as well so it's uh that's really a key part of the procedure is maintaining that uh tension on the hamstring as you're pulling it and using the tendon stripper to go in line with the tendon so that you can cut it at the musculotendinous junction and get the longest graft length possible. Um, but also the saphenous nerve runs in that area. So if you haven't uh, done a good job of clearing out some of that scar tissue around the tendon, uh, you can uh, cause damage to that saphenous nerve. And then uh, there's a concern for loss of knee flexion strength. I think that some of it comes back one, because you have uh, four separate hamstring tendons and you're only taking one. So I think that the knee flexion strength loss is not entirely noticeable, um, but uh, it's still a concern and patients need to know about it prior to the uh, procedure. And uh, say you're, you're not a hamstring harvest guy, but uh, you um, want to get like a BTB. What are some ways to prevent a patella fracture? Yeah, so this is actually what I was talking about a little bit earlier. I was like, I knew I read it somewhere, uh, but little did I know, I, we just put the notes a little bit further down here. Yeah. Um, but you know, one thing you can have you can drill holes at the corners. Um, you can use a less rectangular graft. So there are a lot of different techniques of graft. Uh, when you get a blown bone block, what type of block you can get. And with the quadriceps tendon, you can get a rectangular bone block, you can get a cylindrical, you can get a trapezoidal bone block. So uh, a less rectangular graft. Uh, you can bone graft the defects, which I, I know one of our, our sports surgeons does here when we do our uh, bone patellar bone um, autographs. Uh, you can use a smaller saw blade. You can kind of cut under the surface or use cutting under surface um, to help prevent a, a patella fracture. I think these are all from uh, a paper that was published in uh, 1999. I think by Dr. Viola. I had to go find the, the name of the paper, but it was, it was one of those papers that had all these uh, different ways to help prevent against uh, you know patella fractures. Now, uh, this was a this is a this next question was something I remember I was asked as a as a rotating med student I had no idea what this was uh, we're doing some type of um uh, I think we're doing an ACL case but what is a cyclops lesion? A cyclops lesion is uh, it acts similar to a tibial tunnel that's placed to anterior so it blocks terminal extension of the knee but what it is is it's a portion of scar tissue in the anterior knee that uh, is, I think, thought to be a remnant of uh, the previous ACL stump that was not fully resected during the time of reconstructive surgery. Um, and another theory of it is 
uh, as you drill the tibial tunnel, uh, you get fibrocartilage formation in that area and you might get an overgrowth of fibrocartilage that causes really just like a chunk of scar tissue to sit in the anterior knee. And as the uh, femur or as the tibia comes into extension on the femur, the uh, intercondylar notch and the trochlear groove does hit that uh, wad of scar tissue and present, prevents uh, full extension. Um, I mean, fairly easy to treat. You go back in and, and shave it. It's not a, a huge deal, but it, it can be uh, painful and symptomatic in some patients. Um, yeah. And uh, we've completed our ACL graft and, and sutured it in place or have the suture buttons and the tight rope in place. Um, what uh, sort of infection could possibly uh, occur in these patients postoperatively? Yeah, so the most common bug for these, you know, <clears throat> ACL infections is staph epidermis or staph epi, um, which is actually more common than staph aureus, which is contrary to popular belief of what you would think. I think there was a question on this, and uh, obviously I chose staph aureus, but it was a uh, <laughs> staph epi was the yeah. answer choice. So uh, do not get confused by that. Don't let them try to trick you up uh, for these ACL uh, infections. It's going to be staph epi. And, um, and, and one more thing is what ways can we, uh, prevent ACL tears in our female athletes? We know they're, they are more prone to having, you know, ACL tears and, and having these, uh, these types of injuries kind of, you know, due to one, you know, they have a little, uh, a different morphology as far as your knee alignment, as far as knee valgus, and then, you know, the Q angle. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but what are some ways to prevent against ACL tears? Um, yeah, so I, uh, I have seen some schools, uh, like high schools for uh, athletes that uh, they actually have their female athletes, uh, notably like basketball and soccer players uh, and field hockey players that um, will actually go through a, a female specific preseason protocol uh, because, uh, like you said, there is anatomic uh, differences that leads to um, kind of wider hips, usually more valgus at the knee, and they have a that valgus uh, uh, kind of moment during landing while jumping. And so by going through a sport-specific neuromuscular training where they are taught to land in a little bit more uh, – knees pointed straight forward and even a little bit out rather than knees pointed in and down uh, does help prevent uh, ACL tears in uh, female athletes. They, the kind of joke about this whole thing is that they have since taken it down, but I think that there was an ortho bullets question that it, it was getting at this point of the neuromuscular training, but they made it come out to sound like, uh, women have no idea how to jump, and and oh. I was just like, and I was just like, I, I think that this question needs to be uh, uh, restated. It was like, it was like a lack of coordination with plyometric activities was the answer, and I was like, that, oh. that's a little no boy, no. definitely <laughs> definitely not the case. It's more of oh. a just anatomic uh, differences that lead to 
uh, neuromuscular activation patterns that um, can be uh, taught and learned and um, and changed to help prevent this sort of injury. So again, ways to prevent ACL tears is uh, by doing everything you can preoperatively uh, uh, or even preseason by doing neuromuscular training through plyometrics. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a <laughs> a strong point as far as uh, as far as you know the cause and how to how to prevent these injuries and in these female athletes. And I think we have belabored uh, ACL injuries, and I, I hope that we have covered at least the majority of uh, of things that can be asked on the exam uh, or tested. And, and at least, I mean, just for even just general knowledge and knowing these things when counseling patients. And uh, I, I think we will uh, we'll pick back up next time on, uh, on we'll go to the, the PCL and kind of and make our way, make our way down from there. Perfect, that sounds good. Boom, we hope you all enjoyed this episode. We're finally starting to get into some ACLs and some knee stuff. Um, so again, if this is your first time listening, I hope you hit that subscribe button. I hope you learned something and go and put your email and info in at the bottom or right in the description of this podcast. And, uh, we'll give you some access to some of these notes that we may be working on, uh, maybe working on a little companion book at some point. Um, but without further ado, we will see you next week.